Section 22 of The Rainbow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. The Rainbow by D. H. Lawrence. Chapter 7. The Cathedral. Part 2. They went home again, both of them altered. She had some new reverence for that which he wanted. He felt that his cathedrals would never again be to him as they had been. Before, he had thought them absolute. But now he saw them crouching under the sky with still the dark, mysterious world of reality inside, but as a world within a world, a sort of sideshow, whereas before they had been as a world to him within a chaos, a reality, an order, an absolute, within a meaningless confusion. He had felt before that he could but go through the great door and look down the gloom towards the far-off, concluding wonder of the altar, that then, with the windows suspended around like tablets of jewels, emanating their own glory, then he had arrived. Here the satisfaction he had yearned after came nearer, towards this, the porch of the great unknown, all reality gathered, and there the altar was the mystic door, through which all and everything must move on to eternity. But now, somehow, sadly and disillusioned, he realized that the doorway was no doorway. It was too narrow. It was false. Outside the cathedral were many flying spirits that could never be sifted through the jeweled gloom. He had lost his absolute. He listened to the thrushes in the gardens and heard a note which the cathedrals did not include, something free and careless and joyous. He crossed a field that was all yellow with dandelions on his way to work, and the bath of yellow glowing was something at once so sumptuous and so fresh that he was glad he was away from his shadowy cathedral. There was life outside the church. There was much that the church did not include. He thought of God, and of the whole blue rotunda of the day, that was something great and free. He thought of the ruins of the Grecian worship, and it seemed a temple was never perfectly a temple, till it was ruined and mixed up with the winds and the sky and the herbs. Still, he loved the church. As a symbol, he loved it. He tended it for what it tried to represent, rather than for that which it did represent. Still, he loved it. The little church across his garden wall drew him, he gave it loving attention. But he went to take charge of it, to preserve it. It was as an old sacred thing to him. He looked after the stone and woodwork, mending the organ and restoring a piece of broken carving, repairing the church furniture. Later, he became choirmaster also. His life was shifting its center, becoming more superficial. He had failed to become really articulate, failed to find real expression. He had to continue in the old form, but in spirit he was uncreated. Anna was absorbed in the child now. She left her husband to take his own way. She was willing now to postpone all adventure into unknown realities. She had the child. Her palpable and immediate future was the child. If her soul had found no utterance, her womb had. 
the church that neighbored with his house became very intimate and dear to him. He cherished it. He had it entirely in his charge. If he could find no new activity, he would be happy cherishing the old, dear form of worship. He knew this little whitewashed church. In its shadowy atmosphere, he sank back into being. He liked to sink himself in its hush as a stone sinks into water. He went across his garden, mounted the wall by the little steps, and entered the hush and peace of the church. As the heavy door clanged to behind him, his feet re-echoed in the aisle. His heart re-echoed with a little passion of tenderness and mystic peace. He was also slightly ashamed, like a man who has failed, who lapses back for his fulfillment. He loved to light the candles at the organ, and sitting there alone in the little glow, practice the hymns and chants for the service. The whitewashed arches retreated into darkness. The soul of the organ and the organ pedals died away upon the unalterable stillness of the church. There were faint ghostly noises in the tower, and then the music swelled out again, loudly, triumphantly. He ceased to fret about his life. He relaxed his will and let everything go. What was between him and his wife was a great thing, if it was not everything. She had conquered, really. Let him wait and abide, wait and abide. She and the baby and himself, they were one. The organ rang out his protestation. His soul lay in the darkness as he pressed the keys of the organ. To Anna, the baby was a complete bliss and fulfillment. Her desires sank into abeyance. Her soul was in bliss over the baby. It was rather a delicate child. She had trouble to rear it. She never for a moment thought it would die. It was a delicate infant, therefore it behooved her to make it strong. She threw herself into the labor. The child was everything. Her imagination was all occupied here. She was a mother. It was enough to handle the new little limbs the new little body, hear the new little voice crying in the stillness. All the future rang to her out of the sound of the baby's crying and cooing. She balanced the coming years of life in her hands as she nursed the child. The passionate sense of fulfillment of the future germinated in her, made her vivid and powerful. All the future was in her hands, in the hands of the woman. And before this baby was ten months old, she was again with child. She seemed to be in the fecund of storm life. Every moment was full and busy with productiveness to her. She felt like the earth, the mother of everything. Brangwen occupied himself with the church. He played the organ, he trained the choir boys, he taught a Sunday school class of youths. He was happy enough. There was an eager yearning kind of happiness in him as he taught the boys on Sundays. He was all the time exciting himself with the proximity of some secret that he had not yet fathomed. In the house, he served his wife and the little matriarchy. She loved him because he was the father of her children, and she always had a physical passion for him. So he gave up trying to have the spiritual superiority and control, or even her respect for his conscious or public life. He lived simply by her physical love for him and he served the little matriarchy, nursing the child and helping with the housework, 
indifferent any more of his own dignity and importance. But his abandoning of claims, his living isolated upon his own interest, made him seem unreal, unimportant. Anna was not publicly proud of him. But very soon she learned to be indifferent to public life. He was not what is called a manly man. He did not drink or smoke or arrogate importance. But he was her man, and his very indifference to all claims of manliness set her supreme in her own world with him. Physically, she loved him and he satisfied her. He went alone and subsidiary always. At first it had irritated her, the outer world existed so little to him. Looking at him with outside eyes, she was inclined to sneer at him. But her sneer changed to a sort of respect. She respected him that he could serve her so simply and completely. Above all, she loved to bear his children. She loved to be the source of children. She could not understand him, his strange dark rages and his devotion to the church. It was the church building he cared for, and yet his soul was passionate for something. He labored cleaning the stonework, repairing the woodwork, restoring the organ, and making the singing as perfect as possible. To keep the church fabric and the church ritual intact was his business. To have the intimate, sacred building utterly in his own hands, and to make the form of service complete. There was a little bright anguish and tension on his face, and in his intent movements. He was like a lover who knows he is betrayed, but who still loves, whose love is only the more intense. The church was false, but he served it the more attentively. During the day, at his work in the office, he kept himself suspended. He did not exist. He worked automatically till it was time to go home. He loved with a hot heart the dark-haired little Ursula, and he waited for the child to come into consciousness. Now the mother monopolized the baby, but his heart waited in its darkness. His hour would come. In the long run, he learned to submit to Anna. She forced him to the spirit of her laws, whilst leaving him the letter of his own. She combated in him his devils. She suffered very much from his inexplicable and incalculable dark rages, when a blackness filled him, and a black wind seemed to sweep out of existence everything that had to do with him. She could feel herself, everything, being annihilated by him. At first, she fought him. At night, in this state, he would kneel down to say his prayers. She looked at his crouching figure. Why are you kneeling there pretending to pray? She said harshly. Do you think anybody can pray when they are in the vile temper you are in? He remained crouching by the bedside, motionless. It's horrible, she continued, and such a pretense. What do you pretend you are saying? Who do you pretend you are praying to? He still remained motionless, seething with injured rage, when his whole nature seemed to disintegrate. He seemed to live with a strain upon himself, and occasionally came these dark, chaotic rages, the lust for destruction. She then fought with him, and their fights were horrible, murderous. And then the passion between them came just as black and awful, 
But little by little, as she learned to love him better, she would put herself aside, and when she felt one of his fits upon him, would ignore him, successfully leave him in his world whilst she remained in her own. He had a black struggle with himself to come back to her. For at last he learned that he would be in hell until he came back to her. So he struggled to submit to her, and she was afraid of the ugly strain in his eyes. She made love to him and took him. Then he was grateful to her, love, humble. He made himself a woodwork shed in which to restore things which were destroyed in the church. So he had plenty to do. His wife, his child, the church, the woodwork, and his wage earning all occupying him. If only there were not some limit to him, some darkness across his eyes. He had to give in to it at last himself. He must submit to his own inadequacy, aware of some limit to himself, of something unformed in his own black violent temper, and to reckon with it. But as she was more gentle with him, it became quieter. As he sat sometimes very still, with a bright vacant face, Anna could see the suffering among the brightness. He was aware of some limit to himself, of something unformed in his very being, of some buds which were not ripe in him, some folded centers of darkness which would never develop and unfold whilst he was alive in the body. He was unready for fulfillment. Something undeveloped in him limited him. There was a darkness in him which he could not unfold, which would never unfold in him. End of section 22